to the Mock Stars Podcast. We're back, and I'm Evan Kunai, and I'm here with Christopher Ritter. What is up? What is up, dude? Today, we are talking about a few things. We have, first, our pregame action, and that is how Wizards of the Coast has changed the sales model for Secret Lairs. Is that upsetting? Is it uh, contentious? I feel like it is. It's worth sitting down and having a conversation. The other topic we're going to talk about today is creativity in CDH and how that helps shape the meta moving forward. Before we get into more discussion, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by finding us on YouTube, where if you're watching this right now, you can see this nice, thick mustache on my upper lip, as long, uh, along with my Raising Cane's bright red visor. I And you can also find the show on all major podcasting platforms. Uh, just be sure to like and subscribe on any platform of your choosing. And you can also join our Discord community, where we're having conversations about these like creative deck lists that we've been doing. And if you've paid attention at all to the YouTube, you've noticed that we've been putting out more CDH primers and uh, having more discussion about those as we move forward. And I feel like it's opened the gates for discussion on Discord because people are more open to posting their lists and getting feedback and saying, what is new and creative and uh, what is a way to approach this that's off axis, you know, in a, in a way that is uniquely myself. So um, that's Another thing that you can do to support the show is jump on the Discord, and then you can also support us on Patreon. For $3 a month, we have a supporter tier, the official Pepperhead tier, where you can get exclusive early access on the Patreon to the arena gameplay videos that I've, that I've been posting, and then you can also get access to two exclusive channels where you can post your deck list, get personal reviews uh, by the Stars on them, and... You also get access to the Dr. Pepper channel, because if you didn't know it, this is the number one podcast on the internet for Magic the Gathering and Dr. Pepper. All right. Ritter, how do you feel? About Dr. Pepper. It's yeah. a great beverage. It's uh, full of great, uh, bold flavors. It's refreshing. Um, it's great hot or cold. You know, yeah. obviously, <laughs> we're all more familiar with drinking it hot. But uh, chill down your Dr. Pepper and drink it cold once in a while. It's, it's pretty good that way, too. I, I think I've just been uh, looking on Instagram since I've been uh, working with the Mockstars account. I've just been subscribing to anybody who posts anything Dr. Pepper related and sharing it on, in the stories. So, um, yeah, I just I, I had to test. I had to test you there. See how you feel about Dr. Pepper. See if you're truly committed uh, to the 23 bold spices and flavors that you can find in the greatest beverage on the planet. I mean, is that what people are going to find on the Pepperhead channel on the Discord? Just a vibe check every yeah. once in a while, just making sure they're committed to the Dr. Pepper lifestyle. Test your loyalty. <laughs> I know that's fair. You gotta. All right. True Dr. Pepperheads only. Only Pepperheads allowed in that channel. Let's get into it today. Well, this past week, we got a news update from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and it happened alongside this dogs and cats um, commander deck that was being sold. It was announced and it had a bunch of double faced uh, exclusive artwork foils, you know, like so you could get um, 
like Anointed Procession, which has needed a reprint for a long time. And it has it's a double-sided foil with two dogs on one side and two cats on one side. It's beautiful. Now, the old Secret Layer model would have allowed anybody and everybody to purchase one of these decks it, because they were printed to or, or basically printed to demand. Uh, alongside this release, they decided that that was no longer going to be the model and that there were a limited number of these decks available and it was first come, first serve. That has created quite the stir because that was not the intention or the principle upon which Secret Lair was founded. Secret Lair was founded that it was meant to be a one-time availability, a limited time span where anybody who wanted this build could buy any number of them. They would be printed to demand, and if you didn't purchase it within that has, window... Has it always been printed print to uh, demand? Yep, ever since the beginning. So uh, 2019, when they did that first drop with like the uh, Miri Weatherlight, uh, whatever, a duelist, that cat print right there uh, was one of the first of the few. And so that initial launch was like, hey, if you want this, it's only available for this. Like, I think at the initial launch, it was like two weeks. So a really small window. And uh, so the two weeks went by and if you didn't buy it you just wouldn't get it and uh so it's and then after that after the two weeks it would take they would get collect all the orders and then it would take like maybe a month for anybody to receive them and i think we noticed like a change in approach i don't know maybe like a year or a year and a half ago where they were receiving so many orders they decided to print some in advance so that when you would place the order if you place it early enough, you would get part of the first wave and you wouldn't be waiting for a month to get your order. So you could get it. You know, some people would have secret layers in their hands after a week. I think, Ritter, you've ordered a few where it's kind of surprising how quickly you get them. Yeah, uh, for sure. It, it was like a turnaround of like a couple of weeks versus like when it, I think they made a change in production. Um, that's that. That was my question about like, has it always been print to order? That's where that comes from. Like, I think there was a change of production where they started printing them earlier on in the ordering process at some point, and it made it a lot quicker versus like having to wait like six months or some people waited over a year for the heads I win, tails you lose deck oh, or things like that. Yeah. Uh, they got better at getting it out quicker. Because, yeah, they got, I mean, that's one way to get burned, right? You're not ready for, like, you release a product you're not ready to produce, which heads I win tails you lose was a really great example of that uh yeah being burned by that waiting over a year not hearing anything back not allowing refunds not like all because they couldn't get the coin produced was sort of insane but they've taken the steps in approach to like remedy that over the past like year or so and now they've said well it's not that the quality of secret layers has gone down, which it has. It, <laughs> unlike that's not even an objective. There are just so many secret layers out there that the artwork or the cards that are being printed in the drop don't speak to the community, which is why they're not selling. And there are certain drops that do speak to the community, like let's say the the Mystic Remora, the one that had like the Utopia Sprawl, the first time we'd seen those reprints in a long time that really sold well, the uh, Thassa's Oracle print 
which I just, I just reached out to you just to make sure you knew how much that was worth now is, uh, you know, was a popular how much is drop. It worth just for the record. Yeah. A single, like if you got the foil bundle for that secret layer, the Thassa's Oracle on card kingdom is worth $80. Ooh. And, okay. I mean, that's double the price of the entire layer at the time I paid at the time I bought it. Mm-hmm. And if you add all the pieces together, I think the Thassa itself is worth 20 and there's a couple other pieces that are like fun commander cards. So, uh, that drop, in its entirety was worth it, you could say. And that has been ultimately the gamble that people out there who are purchasing them, if you're not buying all of them, which I know some of you are, you know who I'm talking about, UWP Quirt. I know you're buying every single one out there. But uh, if you're not buying every single one of them you have, and you don't have the money to, you're gambling, essentially, by trying to make a financial investment, which we've said multiple times that if you... Ritter, I'll let you say this one. If you're, I know that this is your piece of advice for investing in magic. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not an investment. Yeah. There's, there's no financial gains to be had here. So, uh, secret layer, uh, obviously once you start producing drops that don't have reprints that are highly sought after or you release five basic lands where we're not allowed to get more than one in any single drop like there have just been questionable marketing and questionable design uh decisions that have been made that have led to a decrease in sales for this product line this big change that they've made Allowing all, So basically the change is it's now no longer printed demand. A limited quantity is being printed and it is first come first serve, which we, the last time we saw this, um, we really saw this style or this approach to marketing and sales was they did it once with the Here Be Dragons secret layer where there's only 10,000 available. It sold out within six hours, which I was lucky enough to get one. Um, but it was one of those things where it's like so many people wanted those, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like the monster manual prints for like Tiamat and for old Gnawbone, and they just weren't able to get them. And now they go for a premium, uh, if you want access to that. And so that was the first time they tested the waters here with the secret layers. They didn't change it for a while, but then before that, I would say it was that, um, Gosh, it was like that Ultimate Masters box topper set with like Dak Faden and uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor had an Ugin the Spirit Dragon in it. They only had a thousand available. And as soon as that went, it w- or as soon as that went live, it was sold out in less than 10 minutes. And then you saw it was for $200 you could buy that. And then it immediately jumped because you saw it appear on the secondary market for over $1,000. So... Each individual planeswalker was then, on average, worth about $250, which we've seen the price of those come down as we've seen more borderless prints, more reprints of those planeswalkers. Dak Faden is not really worth anything anymore. Um, But we're now going to see a shift and change. The going price for that Cats and Dogs deck was $150 at launch, I believe. And it is now going for over $1,000 on the secondary market, which is just insane. It is that's absolutely asinine. And I wonder 
what the next secret uh, if we'll finally get valuable reprints and secret layer drops because they will have this like exclusive tag on them like will we finally see i don't i don't i don't know i don't know if any of the trends uh with wizards are towards greater value for the customer no like i mean that that's hopeful thinking but i don't know if that's going to play out yeah it's um i remember back in the day when black friday was you had to get in line, you know, like first come, first serve, obviously get to the door, but then people got trampled on the way in and we just stopped doing that. Um, but with like online sales, it just, there are, there aren't many safeguards to scalpers on uh, online for online sales. So I just feel like this is just going to be one of those, like the Ticketmaster bonanza that's been going on with like concert ticket sales. You know, it's like we clearly as magic players have an addiction to shiny, shiny paper or cool artwork on paper. So I feel in some way there will be just be people out there scalping 10 to a hundred boxes and then just trying to flip it for profitable gains, which is ultimately my concern with the whole thing. We'll see how it uh, plays out in the future. There is so much, like I've I've appreciated and loved so many of these drops. While I haven't been able to afford a lot of the ones that I love and appreciate, uh, it is a product line that I've been cheering for in the background because I'm like, let's see some, you know, let's see these reprints. Let's see, you know, the price of Anointed Procession come down. And then we see this. And unfortunately, it's still over $100 for um, the double-sided foil. All right. Ritter, I think I've, I'm about out of breath there and my fury i was trying to contain it but i'm ready well, to- i mean it's a bummer like the secret layer thing that was you know i don't know how to quantify this but like you know like that was secret layers were meant to be for the fans kind of and it almost seems like a little bit of a betrayal that like they're moving to this uh system that's really only going to benefit like scalpers who game the secondary market and like hurts fans. Yeah. It's really, like you said, there aren't really any sales practices that are being committed that benefit the, like the community or the fans. It really only benefits Hasbro and wizards of the coast, which is, it is a, it is a business model after all. And you do have to make business decisions. Uh, But this one feels like, you know, it doesn't cost any more to print a basic land than it does to print one of these, you know, like a card. A card is a card in the community's perspective. And now we're saying something that prints for three to five cents, you're just now chart, you know, you're going to be charging us like $60 for each one now. And yeah, it, it, it makes sense, but it also hurts. So it feels like no one has our back now. Oh, they never did. All right, dude. Yeah, man, they never did. No, no, it was just wishful thinking. Let's get into our other topic, our main subject for the day. It is CDH-oriented. It is competitive Elder Dragon Highlander uh, based. And we are talking about creative deck building and how it helps shape the meta. Now, as if you've been staying tuned to the show, um, we have talked about 
creative deck building ad nauseum at times because like we've been wanting to find alternate options to refine strategies that have proven themselves and if you'd like to see any if you'd like help statistically in any of these areas to figure out what you should play edh top 16 is the resource that i will i will praise for the rest of time as long as i'm a magic player that is a great resource because it really compiles what decks are succeeding out there in the world out in the open but i've been building far more creative builds than i ever have before and finding success with them in ways that I haven't seen in the past. Because I think what we're seeing now with the way the game has developed is that we're now seeing cards that cost between four and six mana that the effect is uh, contributing to off-axis strategies that don't help the already established meta decks succeed any more than they already did. So the the game's gotten a little chunkier and it you know you're able to try new things because you have a little bit more breathing room because of that right i think there was just this like uh definitely a prejudice with cdh where it was like if the game doesn't end on turn two it's not a cdh deck or like you know on the flip side it's like i don't want to play cdh because the game ends on turn two it's like i haven't seen a game end on turn two and like i saw it happen once in a tournament once you know it's like yeah i mean the potential for it to happen doesn't mean that it happens yeah you should be building you should build a deck that has the potential to win on turn two like every deck should have that thing that says hey you know what it's turn two i had the christmas land hand and you know what i'm sorry the game's over like it also comes down to your opponent's not mulliganing like appropriately or not uh identifying the threat or like threat assessment isn't proper you know at the at when you reveal the commanders right because that can like glean a lot of information into what you're playing against is just by revealing the commander so if you know you're Mm -hmm. playing against a kenrith it's not likely they have the potential obviously to win early but they're likely trying to strive for the mid game or the late game to establish themselves and but if you're playing against obnixilis you know what you should mulligan for removal. You should absolutely 100% like have some sort of removal here to deal with deal with that or like Rogsai. Like see Rogsai at the table, mulligan for some sort of interaction because otherwise their whole game plan is to win on turn 2. And if they don't win on turn 2 or 3, then they're pretty much out of the game. So it it's just there's a lot before the game even starts that contributes to CDH and the success of certain decks. But now that we're seeing the game slow down, and I think that's been a talking point on channels like Play to Win as well, where they're starting to see strategies that they've loved for a long time succeed just as well as uh, mid, you know, as the game like slows down in the mid game and other decks begin to rise. So we're um, seeing a renaissance, uh, in a in a way, right? A, a new golden era that I I am establishing right now we're in it you don't know it until it's gone but uh the big thing is when you're deck building creatively or like when you're when you're participating in anti-meta deck building i should say is that what you are doing is you're building a deck that is going to test the meta in its weaknesses so when you build a deck and you build a strategy that is unconventional, what you're doing is you're testing decks like Blue Farm and Kenrith for weaknesses. Not only are you 
contributing to a healthier, more diverse meta, but you're contributing to uh, the strength, well, in, inadvertently, you're contributing to the strength of those decks as well, because they're going to be seeing different strategies that they have to adapt to and be prepared for. Um, but you are also seeing new and effective strategies that um, sort of like break down barriers and uh, break through walls, sometimes aggressively. Like uh, this weekend, what you'll see on the Mock Stars podcast channel on the YouTube page is a new deck list that I believe is so is very anti-meta and uh, incredibly aggressive in how it is going to pressure life totals. I don't want to contri- glean too much into this new deck that I'm building, uh, but it like I mean, while we're talking about being creative, mm-hmm. uh, talk about it. I think now's the time to talk yeah. about the new deck you're building. So it's well, I'm not going to say what the deck is, but um, I, as far as like conventional, like unconventional deck building goes, there are certain strategies that you cannot omit from like from a deck. We've we've seen that certain things or certain cards are proven. Like I think. Last week we had talked with Justin and the end of the episode I was saying like, oh, I have like three pet cards in the deck. And he's like, the max is two. And I'm like, but they work. They, they're they good with the commander. And he's like, okay, you can have three. But that is like ultimately speaks to how little room for error there is in the competitive scene where you don't... I mean, because CDH is just all the best cards. Yeah. Like the yeah. best the best deck is literally the cohesive theme is these are all the best cards. Yeah, and right. Blue Farm is that. And while I did liken, so if you haven't checked out the Kestia deck list yet, I did liken it to like Timna in the way that it is worded and phrased. Ultimately, the thing is, Timna is just by miles like better than Kestia is because there isn't a restriction on what type of creature can attack in order to net card draw. It is just like, you know, I put out Dauntless Dismantler, I'll put out uh, Timna the following turn, and then I'll swing and I'll hit somebody for one damage draw a card. You know, it's like there's no restriction on the creature. It can be anything that punches, and which is why Chrom is also great because it's a flyer with haste, comes in immediately and punches and draws you a card. Uh, Kestia requires a little bit more setup, but there are certain strategies that I cannot omit from that build itself where, like, I'm playing, like, uh, Bloom Tender, Sanctum Weaver, and I also just sprinkled Kinnon into the list because I need to be able to generate, you know, with like Freed from the Real, since it's an Enchantress build, allows you to generate infinite mana. And you need a Sync. And Kinnon just happens to be the best Sync in creature-based decks. Would I be better off just playing Kinnon with a lot of these strategies? Probably, but... 100%. It is, it is, the, yeah, it is the pre-game interpretation that allows you to go unnoticed or uh allows uh, basically allow it makes people assess your deck differently so like by putting Kestia well, here's, here's the question for you mm-hmm. is playing off meta is whatever advantage you think you're gleaming from that uh greater than the advantage you would gain by playing an objectively better commander and giving away that game knowledge i think that i learn more as a player and i develop more as a player like while knowing that those strategies are proven and successful where like kinnon just shoots out of a cannon and wins the game a lot of the time like its results are crazy right i think that it does well for me to play those types of decks in less i don't know like where there's less at stake where i can sit down and like borrow someone's kinnon deck and play it and be like mm. Yeah, yeah, 
like that's really good. But it also helps me as a deck builder see lines of strategy that allow me to uh, express myself and express like my, you know, that inner part of you. It's hard to explain that ugh, the thing, you know. One thing I will say about like building creatively, if you've ever watched Jurassic Park, you're basically like, remember that scene right at the beginning when they, they see the raptor, the raptor pen for the first time, and they're like, oh, those buggers are smart. They keep testing the fences for weaknesses. That's exactly what you are. You are a velociraptor in Jurassic Park in an electric pen testing the walls for weaknesses to break through so that when, you know, until the power cuts out, uh, you know, you're still doing that. And eventually you'll find the weakness. Eventually you'll break through. But it is a struggle and sometimes hopeless struggle when you're building a deck in CDH with creative intent. So, like, including Kinnan in that list after playing a couple, like, builds is just, like, allowing basically with Kesty in the in the zone it allows me to approach strategies like playing Shalai and Halar they're known lines right there are known lines with the red terror and Heliod that people will interact with if seen now I've seen every deck list on the top EDA or like EDH top 16 that includes Shalai and Halar and mine absolutely I feel way better with mine than I obviously that I've seen with these other lists because everyone is just basically piling a ton of stacks creatures into their list and then saying, I hope no one else wins the game. And then when the time comes, uh, hopefully I can win the game where the deck list that I've, that I've built and I'll put the list down below is very balanced in the way that like it includes a bunch of different card types. So like obviously enchantment focus, that's my style, but like stills includes artifacts and uh, battles and creatures and um, so, like a balance of sorceries and instance uh, interaction and, and ways to like push the strategy forward and generate card draw uh, in ways that people are going to have difficulty interacting with. I'm not just like throwing a bunch of creatures out there and just hoping and praying for the best, which is what it seems a lot of people have chosen to do with stack stacks that um, I think the strategies have been established by blood pod with uh like naya a lot of naya decks that aren't rocco have uh are basically just saying like i can build blood pod but without black sans black and have success here just knowing that i need to get to a creature to one two combo and win so um by playing those lists and by testing those things out you do start to figure out lines that work better for you as an individual rather than the whole as a community. So this is, that is, <laughs> that is me saying you can look at top seed EDH or like EDH top 16, but when it comes to the actual deck building process, you need to be able to step away and do it yourself. You need to like take the training wheels off eventually and find what's going to work best for you. And this will ultimately one, make you a better player Two test the meta in new and unique ways and result in more wins for you individually than uh, what the statistics are going to show. There are certain commanders that you can pick that obviously will have a lower chance of winning, but you can hide what strategy you're going for a little bit better for that like pregame deception. 
The last thing I'll say about building creatively is that for me, it feels like when I draw cards and I'm playing cards out, there's a rhythm. There's like every deck has a different rhythm. Every deck has a different feeling. Every deck has a different song. It, it, it plays the tune differently every single time. And ultimately what you're searching for is the ability to build a deck that is consistent, consistent enough that is going to play that song every single time, which is why Blue Farm is so successful. Blue Farm is Ariana Grande. Like, every every song is a banger, every song comes out, and it succeeds, and it oftentimes wins many, many, many awards. But if you are making indie music, there is less chance to be seen, there is less opportunity for you. Every single artist has a different style, and you are your own artist. You are a sculptor of this deck. It's going to play a song for you every single time it plays. And that is what I'm thinking about when I'm playing a deck out, even if it's just playtest hands, is like, what is the rhythm? What is the rhythm of this deck? Every single card that comes out of the hand, the timing of the play, like how the plays chain together and how they are structured, all of that contributes to the overall symphony that is your creative build. But yeah, that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much what I've got on creative deck building. I think that there's now now is what I'll say is now is the time. Like we are seeing a change in the meta that has allowed other decks to rise and get create equal opportunities with new cards that have been introduced to the pool so if you were out there and you're like wondering if like the format is stale or if it's uh or if your meta is stale there's more opportunity than ever right now to get out there and build creatively than there has ever been before the game is the format is slowing down game the games are often going into turn 10 12 depending on the skill of players and the level of interaction so it's it is open and fair game out there. Obviously, go out, feel as you do, play to the best of your ability, and build whatever deck exemplifies who you are as a player. But uh, don't be afraid to get into the format, build something crazy like UWP Quirt has with his Child of Alara deck that popped up on the Discord server. And he plays second, by the way. I don't know if you saw that, Ritter. A child of a Lara deck plays second at a tournament in the Midwest. Well, that sounds to me like if you want to play off meta, now might be the time. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. All right. I feel like I've uh, been speaking ad nauseum. Speaking of uh, About meta. Yeah. 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 I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Mock Stars podcast. And if you have your two cents to share about creative deck building, please do so in the comments below on the YouTube channel. You can also join the Discord server and start a discussion there. Uh, there is a specific channel called Channel Discussion, ready and waiting to happen. So um, if you like to support the show, please do so by finding us on YouTube where you can like, subscribe, and hit that bell for more notifications. You can also find us on all major podcasting platforms. Leave us a stellar review. And the best way 
to support the show, and I should have said this at the top, but I'll say it at the end, is make sure you're sharing the show. Share your show, share the show with all of your friends, anybody who you might think enjoy this type of content. Uh, help the channel grow in any way possible. Uh, we appreciate every single share, every single like, every single subscription. Um, you can also support us on Patreon, where we have that new superstar tier where you can schedule one CDH session uh, or pretty much any session of any format that you want to play. Uh, schedule a game with the Mock Stars where we will record it and post it as an episode for future content. So if you want to showcase a deck that you're building creatively or not creatively, whatever you want to do, uh, you can subscribe there and help us and get yourself out there for new content. Um, that's all I've got, Ritter. So you're you're still keeping this new deck you're building top secret. I am. I'm not like, gonna. I'm not gonna. Just. I'm not gonna put it out there yet. Otherwise, is is the commander a new printing? It's a dinosaur. Something new. Oh, it's a dinosaur. Okay. It's a dinosaur. Got it. Yes. Top and secret dinosaur. Top secret dinosaur. The inspiration comes uh, from Jordan. I think Jordan was the one who introduced me to the commander. So. Um, it was a, a deck that I feel like now, more than ever, since we have the opportunity to succeed in a tumultuous time here where things aren't quite established in CDH, that this thing can succeed. And I'm hoping that uh, more tournaments that I play and the more games that I play, that this can eventually make and crack the top 16, uh, maybe in the next couple months. We'll see how it plays out. Anyway. We kicked some ass today, Ritter. Thank you so much for listening to the Mock Stars podcast and stay tuned for more content as we ramp up and continue to move forward in our everyday yeah, lives. Yeah, keep an eye out. Evan's been uh, posting a lot of little mini uh, vidi vids throughout the week. We got regular content now. Super funny stuff. If you don't know what a milker is, you're going to have to check out the most recent short. Yeah, definitely uh, Google milkers. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> We're going to be the first thing that pops up. I guarantee it. All right. I'm getting out of here, Ritter. All right, man. I'll catch you later, dude. And uh, peace. See you.